took me a little while to find something good, but I finally found something I liked. Hey, how you doing? Phil Brown, CappaCast. It's the Kappa Chapter podcast about the Kappa Chapter of Delta Cap Epsilon. That's our chapter. Today, we're going to interview Dan Finkel. Dan is the president of our housing association. But first, we're going to thank our sponsors. The CappaCast is brought to you by Fast Eddie's Laundry Service, located at 120 High Street in Hamilton, Ohio. Fast Eddie's has served its community for over 50 years and comes highly recommended by many Kappa alumni. Fast Eddie's Laundry Service will launder what you've got. And also by Johnny's Campus Deli. Johnny's Campus Deli is located three minutes by foot when sober from the Kappa Chapter House. Order a spicy chicken sandwich on Friday and Johnny's Campus Deli will guarantee that you won't want to eat for the rest of the weekend. Johnny's Campus Deli for when you can't walk to the store. Okay, these are strange slogans for our sponsors, but they pay the bills, so who am I to complain? All right, so let's dive into it. Dan Finkel is our next guest, and he is the aforementioned president of the Delta Cap Epsilon Kappa Chapter Housing Association Board, and he's been the president for what, about 10 years now, Dan? I think it's nine. That's one of the details that I didn't bring to this meeting. And I'll, I know you're going to ask me about the, the beginnings, but I think it was around 2007. So we're either approaching 10 or we're, we're already in 10. All right. So about 10 years, maybe. Dan, what, um, for everyone just to know, what is your pledge class and when did you graduate from Miami? I graduated in 1998, and NU was my pledge class. Yeah, I'm actually an Alpha Beta, which doesn't sound as cool as NU or any one of the other one-letter uh, pledge classes, I'll tell you. So, okay, it's been about 10 years. What motivated you initially to get involved with uh, the housing board? Um, the motivation for involvement was that, you know, I had I graduated in 1998, and I had been to every single homecoming year after year after year. I did not miss one. And it was, I believe, 2007 when I came down for homecoming, but there was no party at the house. There were no people milling about. The house had been closed down. Um, everybody was removed. You were, I think you were the one, you know, living in the house on the first floor so that we didn't have a vacant property and just to kind of keep an eye on the place. But mm -hmm. that was it. There was no homecoming celebration like I had been accustomed to having. That kind of hit home for me. So, you know, it's an Deke was something where, you know, not only had I made it to every single homecoming, but after college, I had friends from the fraternity that I've kept to this day. I keep in touch with them. When I travel to cities, I can stay at their houses, sleep on the couch or in the guest bedroom. And that meant a lot to me. And that's so the fraternity meant a lot to me. And when there was no homecoming, I thought, well, I better I better make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, actually, I remember it well because it was you, myself, and Dr. Hoffman, and we were all sitting around in the inner circle, 
and you were seated in the Brother Beta chair, the big blue winged back chair that um, that used to be there. And I think that's really kind of funny because you ended up being the president of the board as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, lots of ups and downs since that day. I'm sure we could go on and on for hours about that. But I was just curious, what do you think is the biggest challenge since you took over the uh, alumni organization, which was really kind of defunct at that point? Well, the, the most recent challenges are that the chapter keeps getting themselves into trouble with the university. In the news, obviously, there have been a couple fraternities that, that have made them made themselves publicly known because people have been seriously hurt or, in the last two instances, killed. And, you know, that does, I know this is sort of negative, but, you know, that does weigh on me a little bit. I don't ever want to get that phone call. And and I don't think that, you know, the guys have done anything where I, I'm at risk of getting that phone call. But nonetheless, they've still broken the rules. And so, I, you know, I've had to spend a lot of time focusing on, you know, dealing with those issues rather than maybe, you know, making uh, improvements to the house and repairing the house. That's, you know, the the challenge that comes to mind first, because that's what's happening right now. But that's, you know, just in the last couple of years, I think overall, since the beginning, I think the big challenge, and it's even been a challenge for me personally, is that, you know, alumni, myself included, tend to look at the the fraternity experience, and they remember it a particular way, and they want that experience to continue. And I get that, and that's really important, but unfortunately, the fraternity has to operate in today's modern world, which looks different than when I went to school or when people went to school at Miami, you know, 20 years ago or 40 years ago. Yeah, so, you know, what was okay, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s is not necessarily okay today, and I think it's tough for alumni, including myself, to sort of let go of the past and just let the the organization adapt for the future. And and that adaptation is, I mean, that's this is true in business. You know, if you have a business and you refuse to change, you'll eventually become irrelevant and die. Um, and I think fraternities are the same way. Either they change and they learn to live in a modern world or they're not going to exist. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Yeah, it is a very different environment, even from the early 90s when you can see some of the guys running, you know, Ed Frecker for president or even earlier, some of the things that guys from the 60s or 50s were able to get away with. You can't imagine doing something like that now without getting some of those phone calls coming through. And actually, it's a more challenging environment, not only because the culture has changed, but because we're a much bigger fraternity, or at least we were, up until recently, the second biggest chapter in Delta Cap Epsilon, so with over 90 active members at one point. I think that's right. I don't recall the number of members, but the house is... It's a fairly big facility, and we've got 22, 23, 24... 25 rooms available and you know when the house was built it was designed you know each room was a double and and at the beginning that was the case every room had two two people in it so it was easy to have a house of literally 50 people just living in the chapter house not even counting you know those living outside the house 
Yeah, I do think I remember somebody saying it was over 90, and that's a lot of potential for troublemaking around campus when you have over 90 guys, 90 kappas in the chapter. It's probably not something Miami wants to get used to having around. But anyway, anyway, let's talk about some of the positives in the chapter. What do you think of your biggest successes since you took over as president? Well, I think the big thing that comes to mind first is the leadership conference that we had a few years back in Oxford, Ohio, where deeks from all over the country and Canada as well uh, came to Oxford, Ohio, you know, came to our house, the Kappa House, and we hosted this event. And that was kind of a big deal, I think, for me and, and for the chapter, because we got to showcase our house, we got to showcase our chapter, we got to showcase our university and our, and our town of Oxford. And that was pretty exciting to have that happen. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures in the Facebook group. It looks like it was really well attended, even by our own alumni. So that's always a positive. Yeah, it was very it was very well attended um, by active chapter members and by alumni. And probably the best attendance for an event we've had is shortly after we, you know, put everything back together and sort of restarted the chapter. Once things settled down, I don't, I don't recall the year exactly, but we had a, a golf outing uh, where we invited alumni back to Oxford, Ohio during the summer. And we had a, a golf event, and that was very well attended, uh, and people had a really great time. And I think a lot of us would like to do that again. It just requires a lot of organization, and obviously our efforts have been, or our attention has been pulled elsewhere. Uh, but I think that's something that definitely I would like to see have happen again. Uh, but it would require, I think, some new blood coming in who would be willing to, you know, take on the task of organizing that and making it happen. Well, we're hoping some people step up. I mean, that's part of the reason we do things like this to get the word out. But I think, and I think some people will. But um, actually, that event coincided with the 160th anniversary of the chapter, so that would have been 2012. Yes, that's correct. You're absolutely right. It did. So it must have yep. been 2012. But yeah, that was a good time. It was about yeah. There was about 50, 50 or more of us. So. Yeah, that would have been 2012, and that was a, we had a blast, actually, to be honest. Especially when you consider the number of recent alumni has been kind of low in recent years, say the last, I don't know, 10, 15. It, it was a great number, especially considering the number of alumni who come back to visit for homecoming it has been pretty thin in the last few years. Um, not necessarily recent alumni, you know, people that have just graduated or maybe graduated two years ago, they tend to come back pretty heavily. But, you know, alumni that may have graduated, you know, 10, 20 years ago or even, you know, 40 years ago from Miami, we don't tend to see a lot of those um, at homecoming, in, in, at least in, in the recent past. But they did show up in droves, obviously, for the golf outing. So That's right. And you are invited. You can go anytime you want to, just so you know. No one will yeah, stop you. absolutely. All right, great. And speaking of the future and future events and plans in general, what do you see as the plan for the Housing Association in the next few years of your presidency? Well, I think the, the next five years, uh, we, we have the following challenges. From a physical facility perspective, the roof is, you know, reaching the end of its life, and and at some point we're gonna have to replace it. That will be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so we just have to prepare for that. We know it's coming, and we have to start putting aside some money 
to do that. Um, you know, perhaps doing a, a, another golf outing kind of fundraiser uh, might help raise money towards the roof. So from a physical perspective, that's, I think, the challenge uh, in the next five years. The other physical challenge, I think, for the building is going to be that, you know, it was built in 1989, which isn't that long ago, but so much has changed. 20 years almost. Um, as far as people's expectations of living at a university are concerned, um, you know, the expectations for living conditions in 19, in the 1980s weren't that different from the 1960s or 50s or 40s or 30s. You had two people sharing a small room um, where they pretty much just slept and maybe studied. But a lot of the social interaction took place in common areas. I think, you know, you're seeing the universities start to build not dorms with small rooms anymore, but they're starting to build dorms that are apartment style living, you know, where each apartment has a kitchen, its own bathroom. And like it or not, that's, I think, the, the future demand for living is more apartment style living. So, you know, the question is, you know, how do we make sure that our house, the way it's configured, continues to be competitive in the future? Especially, you know, we've had uh, some fraternity houses maybe burned down or tragically yeah and, and replaced they're replaced with newer facilities where some of those things can be taken into account so um, so far i think we're, we're doing well because sophomores are required uh, to live on campus that's new that did not exist you know 20 years ago um, and as a result if they want to live off campus, the only way they can do that is in a fraternity house. So regardless of the, the configurations of the houses, you'll always have people desiring to live in those houses because they want to get out of the dorms. Right. Very different from perhaps when you and I went to school where this second year sophomore live-in requirement didn't exist. You now have guys maybe joining a fraternity just to escape the dorms so that they don't have to stay there and they can be a little more free. So it's definitely kind of a mixed blessing that's seen our numbers shoot up. But at the same time, we have a lot more challenges related to this kind of new dynamic, whether it's brotherhood being a little bit different from when, again, when you and I were there, or, you know, you see guys joining who didn't really uh, feel like they fit in but wanted to go somewhere and then kind of falling away maybe. So that's kind of speculation, but you can just kind of easily see this happening because of the new dynamic. Yeah, the, the, the challenge in the next five years really does also revolve around that uh, dynamic in, in who lives in the house because of the second year exemption, if you will. People are exempted from living in the dorms. They can go live in a fraternity house. Um, it has driven the houses to be filled mostly with sophomores. We would be lucky to get three or four upperclassmen living in living in the house. And when you have young men who are off to college sowing their wild oats, so to speak, in the dorms, they were supervised. This may be their first living arrangement where they're living in an unsu completely unsupervised environment. And that tends to create, I think, some problems. Yeah, and those problems aren't too difficult to anticipate, but probably a lot more difficult to deal with when somebody breaks something or, you know, something needs to be fixed. In fact, isn't this renovation season down at the house? It is, and I'm happy to do it, and I would be remiss, you know, speaking of this is the, this is the time where we clean up the house and, and make repairs and renovations and get it ready for the next year. Adam, I'm here 
you know, acting as the president, but really all the successes of the chapter have a lot to do with all the people that put in, you know, labor hours. Um, and it's hard for alumni to do that because we're all busy. Uh, some of us live far, far away and we can't get back to Oxford, but Adam Hayward and Jim Prochaska, I really couldn't, we could not do what we're doing without those two guys. And especially Adam Hayward is on the ground more than, I mean, if I got 10 people, yeah, if I got 10, 10 alumni to volunteer, um, you know, just a little bit of their time, they wouldn't even come close to how much time Adam Hayward puts in at the house. I mean, it's an unbelievable amount of hours and it just wouldn't be possible without him. And then Jim is, uh, you know, in Oxford a lot because he has some rental properties down there and he's got some real expertise in, you know, um, the construction trade. So his input and his participation has been invaluable as well. So those guys are kind of my, they're really the superstars. You know, we, we have telephone conversations and I'll say yes or no to things, but ultimately they're the ones that are making it all happen. Yes, it's very true. If anything, yeah. that's an understatement, what you just said. So so we're hoping to have Adam on the podcast here shortly. Um, we've talked to him about it, and he's agreed. We just have to find a time, so everyone can look forward to hearing that. But, Dan, we thank you for your time and all your efforts down at the house. We know we couldn't do it without you, and thanks a lot for coming on the show today. You're welcome. All right, everyone, so that concludes our interview with Dan Finkel about everything going on down at the house. And we encourage you to, if you're interested in becoming more involved, just to contact him either on Facebook or through his email, which will be in the show notes of this show, so you can shoot him an email. But he is on Facebook, and he's also in the Facebook group, so um, you can shoot him a message there. Also in the Facebook group, you will find a link posted by Dan to a service called Anadot. And within that service, you are able to pay your dues, your alumni dues, to the housing associations. These guys put in a lot of time, and uh, any help you can give them, uh, even if it's just moral support, shoot them a message saying, hey, good job, if you're not able to contribute financially. But within that Anadot link, you'll see you can pay your dues over credit card or PayPal. Also, you can send a check to Seth Swallen, who is the treasurer of the Housing Association, and I'll put a link to the address for that in the show notes to this as well. So thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll have some more fun interviews for you soon. Thanks a lot.